0: Good morning liberty
1: well what is up all of our liberty loving friends this is another fantastic episode of good morning liberty my name is nate thurston and joining me right now via zoom is mr clint russell from liberty lockdown it's been a long time coming but he's finally here how are you doing today clint
0: i'm good nate thank you for having me in the great state of tennessee i believe um I, you're actually on my list of potential long-term homes. So uh, if all my Californian brethren w- would stop immigrating there, I'd really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, we're getting a lot. Uh, the other co-host here, Charlie, he just got a house and all of his neighbors are from California. And he's <laughs> he's really worried about that. But we think that they know why they moved. And that's, uh, that's what we're hoping. But uh, yeah. are you from Florida or did you go there for freedom at some point in the past?
0: Yeah, about about uh almost a year now. Okay. I've been in Florida, but I am born and raised San Diego, uh, California. So I spent thirty-seven years give or take in, in California and then Gavin Newsom made it so unpalatable that I had to get out. Uh so I, I fled to the the sanctuary state of Florida and I'm I'm still considering my options. You know, New Hampshire's on the plate, Tennessee, uh considered Texas for a while, but then I, I realized that it was probably gonna go blue too. So even as a libertarian, I'm still seeking red states. Like, those are the only options.
1: Yeah, uh, Tennessee is not too bad. I came from Illinois, so it's a lot better than Illinois, for sure. Uh, but it still leans pretty hard Republican, which can be good sometimes, and bad others. But I do prefer sure. it over a lot of the other options. So, by the way, I just had to let you know, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but you sound like a sober Brian McWilliams. I'm not... I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure if anyone's ever told you that before, but I was listening a little bit earlier. I was like, this sounds like Brian, only not hammered drunk. So congrats on Yeah, that.
0: He, is, he is a raging alcoholic. Um, you know, I found sobriety a while ago. No, I'm just kidding. I, I still drink on occasion, but yes, Brian goes hard in the paint. That guy's a savage. Shout out to the line, Lions of Liberty.
1: <laughs> okay, so for everyone who doesn't know, uh, of course, starting out, this is your first time on the podcast. I believe we talked like two years ago. About getting you on. And I probably dropped the ball on that really hard because I'm like a week between email responses or messages or whatever. (laughs) Carrier pigeons are about the fastest way of communication with me. Uh, But tell everyone your background just so they know.
0: Sure. Uh, So I was a mortgage broker entrepreneur, started my own company about, what is it, about 12 years ago now. I had a really great run. Uh, brokered a couple hundred million dollars for a series of years, made a really good living. Uh, was loving life, enjoying everything, even though I still knew that you know economically it was unsustainable and governmentally it was unsustainable. But it was still it was still manageable that I could still make a good living and look after my friends, family, things like that. So I was I was content. I wasn't interested in being involved with politics at all, to be honest. Like even though I, I've always been a libertarian and I've always had. You know, very deeply held political beliefs. I just, I just really didn't want to be involved with the system, and then the system said, "You must be involved, Clint." And I was like, <laughs> "All right, well." So, uh, the lockdowns get announced. I spend about sixty days just prepping because uh, I didn't know how long it was going to last and how bad things were going to get. And then once I felt adequately prepared for whatever may come. Uh, I decided to shut down my mortgage company and start a podcast, which is you know doesn't seem like the most logical answer when you're really trying to change the world, but it was something I could do relatively easily and and it really allowed me to just vent as the whole world had seemed to have lost its mind uh, i really i felt like there was a need for kind of a the entrepreneurial's perspective you know a libertarian entrepreneur that was had their back broken by the lockdowns. And I, I had a level of rage that I wasn't seeing reflected amongst the uh, kind of the beltway libertarian class. So I just started to scream into a microphone and I, I discovered all of my, my heroes uh, appreciated my message and they, they became friends with me over the past two years. So I, I, it's been an amazing journey.
1: Yeah, how do, I got to ask a little bit real quick. How the heck do you just get all of these amazing guests all the time? I mean, I guess it just comes with having a great podcast. It's Liberty Lockdown, by the way. There's going to be a link in the show notes for everyone who's listening. Uh, but man, you get
0: some great guests on there. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, I, honestly, I think it's it's just about, um, it's just about, you know, my message and then obviously having an audience that makes it worth their time. You know, I, that was the hardest part was getting to that point. Um, and I have to thank, you know, Dave Smith and a handful of other bigger profile people that had no reason to give me any of their time and they chose to do so. And then people tuned in just to hear that. For whatever reason, they thought I was still worth listening to beyond just the Dave Smith episode. And and then uh, you know, Maj Terray and Spike Cohen and Dave Rubin and Lydia and Tim from Timcast and all these other people, you know, just just legends in the game that that have uh, decided to give me an opportunity, uh, you know Matt Kibbe, everybody, like down down the list. It's just an incredibly supportive environment. I think that a lot of people, you know, they they just kind of sense that I'm the real deal with this stuff, so they they want to help me out for whatever reason, and I'm I'm eternally grateful for it.
1: Yeah, I was just listening to your episode with Austin Peterson and Judge Knapp. Uh, That was a great episode uh, from, I I listened almost all the way through it before we started. And uh, I would highly recommend going and listening to that for anyone who is wanting to check it out. Great content. I was very interested. And I love the conversation about the cultural problems that we're going through right now. And also being libertarian slash maybe you're more on the anarchist spectrum And if there is any place for us to even deal with this or or how it is that we would deal with this, especially if you're more on the anarchist, like what, what are you going to do about it? And I think that that's a really, we just had this conversation about, um, you know, Jordan Peterson getting kicked off of Twitter and the stuff that he was talking about. I've got no personal opinions about stuff like transgender people or anything like that. But then I also, I do have opinions on stuff that's going on like with kids. What do you, yes, what exactly. Do you, what do you think when it comes to that, and how do we be
0: libertarians and talk about this at the same time? That's that's the the trillion dollar question right now. <laughs> I mean, I think that in in healthier times, you don't have to worry so much about the culture. Um, but I, I, my personal vantage point is that the culture has degraded because the state has become so enormous, and and people have stopped relying on the individual and and the community to look after some of the pitfalls of childhood and and things like that and now we have we have public schools and even you know higher education that is indoctrinating the youth into what i view to be a very unamerican uh vantage point and and it's it's a man it, it runs deep i mean i i could go you know historically to explain how we got here but it, i think that the the real question is how do we how do we dig our way out and and that's what I brought on, you know, Judge Napolitano, who's on my show every Thursday now. Well, he's in va- he's on vacation right now. God bless him. But uh, he comes on every Thursday, and we do like a little twenty minute hit where we just talk about the constitutionality of things. And this was just it, it seemed to me that there were so many cultural issues that I was struggling to have an answer for. And obviously, Austin Peterson has has uh, not strayed away from those those third rail libertarian topics and. And I think it's important, you know, I think it's important that if if we don't like the trajectory of the culture, we're going to have to face it at some point. We can't just, you know, live and let live our way through this thing. Like we're going to have to come up with some ways to reform it. And, you know, obviously homeschooling and and uh, taking more of a proactive role in your community is going to help. But um, beyond that, it's just it's a it's a hard slog ahead. It seems like. Can you be libertarian and still want to work within
1: the state to try and solve any of these things or do we just have to look at trying to solve the culture on a personal level, individual level, level in our families Uh, for, you know, we have the public schools, we have public colleges, we have all of that. And people are trying to pass a law to stop a certain thing from being taught in those schools. Is there room for libertarians to be involved in that? Do we make those type of, uh, those type of strategery decisions or, you know, what do you, what do you think?
0: Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, the, this is why I was asking them about it is because I I don't think that there's a perfectly libertarian answer because it's such a status derived problem. So like if we're if we're going to get involved with curriculum setting with the public schools, even though we believe most of us believe that the public schools should be abolished, um, yeah, you're going to you're probably going to go against your principles to some extent. I think that you know having a curriculum that is so antithetical to the American ideal or to what any libertarian would want to see in the world is, is not something that you can really sit out the debate on, you know, whether or not you want to actually get in there and and work within the state. Like if you actually want to become a politician and, and, and try and course correct from within, uh, obviously it'll take tremendous moral fortitude to maintain your principles while doing so. Um, but I'm not, I'm not so much of a, uh, I don't know. hardliner that I, that I think that you can't do that. You know, I just, I just hope that you can actually maintain your principles in that process.
1: Yeah. For instance, I saw an article earlier talking about how school vouchers weren't libertarians and they, they were bothered by the fact that so many libertarians were in favor of doing school voucher systems or school choice systems. And what I, what I think libertarians are really missing is a strategy to actually get to a libertarian country eventually. I, th- I think that all of these liberties were taken one little bit at a time and we're going to have to make some compromises on the way there. And I, that's been my biggest issue with libertarians and even the libertarian party in general is this unwillingness to have a strategy to go step by step to eventually make it where we want to go.
0: Right. It's incrementalism versus collapsitarianism. And and I, I'm I'm more in the incrementalist camp Uh, I think that things are likely to collapse regardless, but like, I'm going to try and make progress as this Goliath still stands. It just, it just makes the most sense to me. If you, if you understand how catastrophic a, a complete civilizational collapse would be, I don't think it's wise to encourage it or to root for it. It's like, I mean, sure. If you're a hardcore prepper, you might be fine, but like, do you really want to live in Mad Max? Like, I. (laughs) Personally, not really interested in it. So I'm going to try and reform things while I can. Ultimately, I think that that the you know the the federal government at least is is very likely to collapse within our lifetimes, if not very soon. Um, so in the ma- in the meantime, though, I'm going to try and wake people up to what we want to you know when they when th- Klaus Clapp- Schwab in the World Economic Forum talk about building back better. Well, we're going to have to build back better. Like we're going to have to do that. So I'm going to try and get as many people in my camp while things are still standing so that when things collapse, we can actually build back into a future that we'd want to live in. How,
1: uh, how much do you think we're being dictated by people like the, the world economic forum and Klaus Schwab? Like, do you think that are, are we dealing with things because of things that they want right now? Or is that just happening over there in in Europe right now?
0: Well, for the longest time, I, I always believe that the most of the globalist plots were overblown and overstated and, and, so yeah, I, I I just thought it was kind of like Alex Jones territory. Like okay. I was like, all right, yeah, sure. I mean, th- yeah, they talk about it. Yeah, they'd like to, but they don't have that kind of power. And then I started to look into it more. And I realized that like, because of uh, their relationship with the biggest businesses on earth and the biggest governments on earth and the collusion, the open collusion between these these entities, they are actually rolling out uh, what I've been highlighting with my show very aggressively for the past year. Uh, the, the wokeism that has taken over corporate America and the the corporate world, the world over, uh, is ESG and ESG is environmental, social, and governance. It's a plot from the UN, uh, that has now been implemented by the world economic forum through all of the biggest businesses on the planet. And, and they are really doing it. I mean, when, when it comes to the biggest money managers on earth, they will divest of your corporation, unless you go along with ESG guidance. And, and that is an enormous, uh, Motivating factor. So, basically, yes, I do believe that they <laughs> they are actually manipulating uh, things on a on a very significant level. The ESG thing is a, a weird situation because
1: it. I try to figure out why right? why are so many people so willing to go along with the ESG thing. It doesn't necessarily mean more profit for the individual corporations that are trying to do that. And then I I try to figure out what the point of it is. You get environmental and, so you know, you get stuff like Tesla being removed from the, that uh, ESG index. I can't remember what the specific one it was. Seems like if you care about the environment and all that, um, I don't know, maybe like the biggest electric vehicle manufacturer would be, would be one of them. But then I guess they get knocked out by the other problems that they have. Like, what's the point of all of it? What are they doing?
0: Yeah. well, <laughs> my My personal vantage point is that it was it was utilized to break the back of the Occupy Wall Street movement. They realized big businesses uh, you know the world over realized that there was a, a leftist populist revolution that was coming. And instead of allowing that to take hold, what they did was they co-opted it and they made it so that we're going you don't have to worry about us we're doing everything that you say. We're focusing on the environment and social justice and, and making sure that you know, diversity issues are remedied and, and income inequality, you know, we'll get to that eventually. Um, and I, really, I really believe that's what it was. Uh, they, they did it in a very clever way. And, and now because they focused on uh, subduing the leftist populist movement, there is now a right-wing populist movement that's ri- rising up very aggressively to, to point out what ESG is and what it's actually doing to us.
1: Yeah, I was gonna. Uh, I was gonna ask real quick. You know, Liberty Lockdown. We're talking about some of the stuff they've been able to do over the last couple of years. Talking about the World Economic Forum. Do you want to let everyone know why specifically you started this podcast and why it has the name that it that it has? Because I think I'm, sure. I'm pretty sure I know why.
0: Yeah, you can guess. Uh, <laughs> I started in May 2020, so 60 days after the lockdown started, and and I, I just I really wanted to. Basically, I was spending all of my time researching the. The, the pandemic itself, the virus itself, the vac- vaccines, like everything that was involved with it. I, and I was I was like, okay, well, I'm doing all of this research. I might as well put it out to the world because I realized very early on that we were being lied to about almost all of it. Um, so that was the the driving focus. And moreover... You know, just locking down people, regardless of the pathogen itself, and regardless of the death rate or the spread or any of that nonsense, I opposed on principle. Like I am a libertarian, I believe that you never have the right to lock people in their homes. Period. End of sentence. So uh, that was that was my impetus to get involved, and I- I'm just grateful that so many people felt that message was worth hearing. And people have asked me many times, "Are you going to rebrand now that the lockdowns are over?" I'm like, "Brother, the lockdowns aren't over. <laughs> they're, they're, they're nowhere. They're nowhere near over. That now it's going to be." Uh, you know, corporate credit scores via ESG, which is the obvious lead into social credit scores, and then lockdowns that can stem from uh, being a political dissident, as we've now seen in uh, for the Dutch, as well as the Canadians. Uh, I think that this is this is early in the battle against lockdowns.
1: One thing that really bothers me about people on the right, by the way, is I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve, two weeks to slow the spread, that made sense at the time, you know, it kind of makes sense that we did yeah. that, and that, no, no, it 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 didn't, and it doesn't even, here's the other, here's the other annoying libertarian position, it doesn't matter if it made sense scientifically, right. you still can't do that, and the other right. thing is, it still didn't make sense, how many, all these people like conservatives and people hate the government, uh, you know, you government programs once you give them power they're just never going to give it back you know but two weeks that's all they're going to do is two weeks for sure yeah. that's all we're going to get and then it ends up going on for months we print all of this money you got to keep the lockdown thing because a lot of the stuff we're dealing with right now with inflation and all that is still stemming from the lockdowns in the first place and exactly. do you ever get annoyed on the other on the other half of this uh on the other half of my question here do you get annoyed That people like you or I, we tend to see these things coming magically, amazingly. (laughs) We're like, well, you know... It seems like maybe the death rate, the mortality rate isn't as high as what they're saying uh, because their statistical sample. Well, that's of people that were sick enough to go uh, to the hospital. And so you're going to throw off that sample rate. So 5 percent, that's probably not true. And uh, it seems like these vaccines aren't working as well. It looks like you're going to be able to spread it and eventually it's going to evade the vaccines. And, you know, you shut down the economy for a while. Uh, we're going to end up printing a bunch of money and we're going to have a bunch of inflation. We even said uh, last year a week. Crap, whenever this was, you know, eventually they're gonna be talking about corporate profits and price gouging and people raising their prices, and they're gonna be taxing all that away from people because that's how socialism goes. That's what and do you ever get annoyed that we just happen to magically know all of this stuff?
0: Yeah, well, and then you gotta include the price caps, which they're now discussing openly, which will (laughs) add to the shortages, which will increase the price. I mean, all of this stuff is is like libertarian 101 stuff so it's very it's very obvious to us but it's extremely mystifying to everybody else which is why I feel like it's such an uh, you know incredible opportunity for us to get our voices out there i mean the the whole reason from my vantage point that ron paul had such uh incredibly incredible gravity to to his movement was because he was telling the truth when no one else was willing and he was proven right time and time again we can continue in his footsteps we can continue that legacy of saying look I know that you're being propagandized to the contrary, but if you actually follow my track record, I am way more accurate than the federal reserve. I'm way more accurate than any politician you're hearing from. Like all of this is based off of the fact that our, our fundamental principles, that our worldview is more aligned with reality. That's really all there is to it. So we sound like we're psychics, but we're just, we just know the base from which you should be evaluating things. So if you can learn how to evaluate things, you can also look like a you know a few uh, a psychic um so yes but to your to your question moreover it's very frustrating it's very very frustrating that we can warn about all this stuff and and we can almost know exactly how these these things are going to play out and we're called crazy and we're called conspiracy theorists and we're also banned from social media for pointing it out a few months prior to it actually occurring it's extremely frustrating but uh Fortunately, I was built with a uh, a constitution that just doesn't allow me to give up. So I'm gonna keep going.
1: No one could have seen this coming, Clint. I mean, no one, yeah, no, no no, one saw no this one. coming at, <laughs> at all. No
0: one saw no one saw shutting down the global economy would no. lead to uh supply chain breakdowns and shortages of goods yeah. and and inflation. No, it's impossible to imagine.
1: I we've been talking to people on the podcast so we do a trading class uh, that I so I trade in the market every single day and we keep people keep asking, like, are we gonna go into a recession? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Look at all the other times that we went into a recession uh, because this was messed up or that was messed up. We shut down the entire freaking global economy for a few yep. months. We messed up all the supply chains and we printed the most amount of money we've ever printed. Yes, we're going to go into a recession and we're in one right now. The damn recession indicator is a lagging indicator in the first place. Of course, yeah, we're already well, in it.
0: <laughs> I, I, I would argue we've been in a recession since the lockdowns began. I mean, if, if you have production that's decreasing, which they've just... Obviously, we did. I don't care how they game GDP or any of this stuff. It's like, yeah, you broke the economy. Okay. And now we're going to pay an enormous price. You try to paper it over, which is now why we're suffering such inflation. The shortages are, are adding to the, the price inflation, but we also have monetary inflation that, that adds to the pain. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are going to needlessly suffer because they don't understand this stuff. And it's tragic. It's tragic that basic economic uh, knowledge is not widely held by people because if it were, then no one would have ever thought that you could lock down the economy they would have known on its face that it was suicidal and insane and that you were going to lose far more lives from from doing so than you could ever possibly save from the lockdowns in the first place and then yeah, sure two weeks of course you knew it wasn't going to be two weeks it ended up in in my state it was over a year i mean it was it was absolute insanity and and all of this was foreseeable and and it should have never happened so uh you know that's my mission basically is to make sure that in the future uh, I have a track record now that is on tape. You can listen to it, you know, where I'm telling you exactly what's happening. So hopefully when I start to tell you about social credit scores or, or central bank digital currencies or any of these other things that they're working on actively and where that leads, you'll actually listen to me and you'll rise up to prevent it from taking one more inch from us because it's uh, at some point, it's going to be a breaking point a breaking point, and we won't be able to go back. I Personally, I think the CBDCs are that like once they have that, it's a total panopticon. We can't escape.
1: I just heard Jerome Powell, I think it was last week or the week before they were questioning about about the uh, digital currencies, and uh, he said that he didn't think that there needed to be one, but if there was going to be one, then they needed to be the one to do it. Exactly. (laughs) That's great. So speaking of the digital currencies, there's been a bit of a crash when it comes to all of those. Uh, Turns out you can't just uh, promise people a bunch of money uh, that's not backed up. It feels like man, I don't. It feels like a lot of these were like a pension system where they were going to guarantee eight percent or ten percent returns on these, and then yeah. you just couldn't back it up. I never signed up for any of them because I was like, "That's not, that's not real." Like, yeah, I'll get eight percent on my nothing amount of money that's left <laughs> over next year. That's great. Uh, but so, is Bitcoin actually going to be an answer to our fiat currency, or is this just a wishful thinking, cool idea?
0: Well, I, I think that Bitcoin still has probably the greatest chance of being the answer um, just because it has the most adoption. It has the uh, the greatest network effect. There's other, other competitors out there that I also think have uh, potential viability. Uh, the vast majority are garbage. They're absolute garbage. And I knew that from early on, and I've been warning people about them. Um, but I also was warning people, even though I'm a, a believer in Bitcoin, I, I've been warning people that when the the in, the inflation kicks in everyone believed that it was going to be an inflation hedge that's what everyone believed and i kept telling people i was like look there is a tremendous amount of speculative capital that is in these markets and when you have a incre- uh, increase in the fed funds rate or you know interest rates more broadly that lead from the fed funds rate you're going to see a deflationary period and and every asset class is going to be hit by it it's the exact same thing that we saw in April of of 2020 when the lockdowns were announced everything was hammered if people recall bitcoin dropped to like $6,000 briefly um and this is this is how it works so until the US dollar is actually going to die bitcoin is not actually an inflation uh, an inflation hedge and i just i just hope that people took my advice cuz when it was at 60,000 i was i was cautioning everyone everyone i could get to listen and and they're like but you believe in bitcoin i'm like yes i do but you're going to have lower entry points, and and people didn't like to hear that. But you know, once again, uh, because of my investment background, you know, I I I money or I manage money significant amounts of capital for uh, about 15 years. Like I really understand this stuff, and it doesn't matter that I'm a believer in Bitcoin. Like I still understand um, you know market fluctuations and the boom bust cycle, and and it, yes, it's a product of the Fed, but you have to you have to keep your feet in reality, even if you're you know a based. You know, fundamental Austrian economist guy. You know,
1: when it comes to looking at the market, uh, I know you uh, you know a bit about this. Clearly, do you do uh, more fundamental type analysis or technical analysis if you're going to check out something?
0: Totally a fundamental okay. uh, analysis guy.
1: All right just checking we do all we do all technical analysis and luckily the technical analysis told me to sell my bitcoin at 58.8 i think is what i said and that's just because there was a perfect reversal in the first ever what looked like a major downtrend starting on bitcoin at that time and so told everyone hey i'm getting out of here this doesn't look good and that turned out to be good so far right now i'm thinking about getting back in maybe around 10 and in fact, I was spouting off on Facebook last week saying I was waiting for seven, but I might have just been trying to give someone a hard time.
0: I don't know. There's no way. <laughs> well, no I, way. <laughs> you know, I think I think you're exactly right. And and just to to be honest about it, I've never been a, a trader professionally. So like uh, because my job was basically macro analysis of the of the real estate market um, and interest rates and things like that. I never, I never got into technical analysis because I was never day trading or even trading really. Yeah. You know, I've had, I've obviously played the stock market a little bit, but it was never my, my focus. So, uh, but I, am a believer in technical analysis. I think like it, it's a nice supplement to uh, more fundamental analysis, but it's just, I, I need to get better at it. I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. Well,
1: you can't day trade based on fundamental analysis. And that's what I do. Like no. it, it's uh you got to be able to do technicals and I don't have the patience for the long term stuff. So it's exactly. a, just not my thing. Um, speaking well, of some, well, com- combined, we're a lethal weapon. <laughs> I know. I know. Look at this trading firm we're starting right now on this podcast <laughs> episode. That's great. Uh, speaking of really dumb ideas uh, that have to do with the market, have you heard anyone mention doing an unrealized capital gains tax recently?
0: Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> they're. They- <laughs> There's, Still. No unrealized cap, there's no unrealized capital <laughs> gains left, so you don't have to worry about that anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to do one of those right now. They get a credit, I guess. I don't know how that
0: works out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it just it, during a, a hard bull run, which the bull run was complete, you know, nonsense because it was predicated on it's just fake trillions <laughs> and trillions of dollars being pumped into the system. So. Uh, yeah, during that period, you have all the politicians going, Oh, we gotta we gotta find some way to tax these people. We can't like the hodlers. They they were like, we gotta get these people to to pay some taxes. And and now you see why that would be such a catastrophic idea, because uh, well, one, they they would have been taxed on you know profits that they never realized, um, but also because it would have caused, you know, massive liquidations across all asset classes as people were trying to uh to cover tax bills, it would be catastrophic for the market. So they're they're just idiots, as
1: always. <laughs> well, now we switch to windfall gains in the oil industry, uh, which oil actually looks like it's coming back pretty hard right now also. Um, yep. And so they're just going to have one bad idea after another. Hopefully we don't follow too many of those ideas. Speaking of oil, I wanted to get your ideas on, you know, this whole Russia-Ukraine thing. Have you
0: uh, heard anything uh, yeah, about I've, that? Yeah, I've heard about it. You okay. know, World War III, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, well, that you mentioned inflation earlier, and so I thought you were just going to go into... Putin, because that's the cause of our (laughs) inflation, clearly, right now. one Another annoying thing is that we did all these sanctions, all these oil sanctions and everything, and from from what I'm picking up, we've basically not harmed Russia all that much, really, because they still have buyers for all of their oil. Uh, Their their ruble is actually stronger than what it was before the invasion now. And uh, here we are dealing with our Putin price hikes and our increased energy costs and, and fuel and all of that, what did we accomplish? Because I've been saying the unpopular opinion, which is that we don't need to be doing any of these sanctions. We don't need to be messing with this market. And of course that is not popular whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, when you understand that sanctions are, are an act of war and you're doing it to a nuclear power, you should probably be cautious <laughs> about doing it in the first place. So like on a, on a principle level, I oppose sanctioning uh, other countries unless, obviously, if they were to attack us or something, that would be different. But they haven't. So uh, I think that's crazy. Uh, personally, I, I think that the, the sanctions were a great idea from the federal government's perspective, because now they get to point out what was coming inevitably, which was significant inflation and and a crashing economy. And they get to point, point at Putin and say, look, this is what he's doing to us because we are defending these poor you know, free people of Ukraine. Uh, so I think it's a scapegoat. It's it's an excuse. Uh, it's transparently that the inflation was coming regardless, and and now they have an excuse for people that don't understand anything about economics for them to say, oh yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I don't understand this stuff. So yeah, mm-hmm. let's go blow up Russia. Yeah,
1: but they attacked Zelensky. I mean, yes, you have the, to the noble him. the noble hero. <laughs> um. Yeah, so, so that's obviously not working out too well. Now, you mentioned that they attacked us. That would probably be a, a, a good idea, but they did attack a, another country instead. That's not, popular, not a popular viewpoint for everyone, but I do hope it becomes obvious uh, for everyone that this is doing nothing to actually hurt Russia. I don't think it's actually going to hurt them at all. I think it's going to end up hurting us. And it's also conveniently pushing us into this green energy climate change deal that It's just a brand new idea because of Russia. People just came up with. They'd never really thought about it before. And so now, oh, I guess this is what we need to do. We need to push in the green energy. It seems to also align with some other policy goals that people have had for a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and for the record, you know, I'm not saying that I I want Russia to win in Ukraine. But if you care about peace on the planet and you care about not having nuclear war, uh, i I'd caution you against wanting Russia to lose brutally because if if you're going to continue to use, you know, the entire NATO alliance and a whole bunch of sanctions and everything else and you're and you're really going to try and break the pa- the back of Russia, well they are, you know, they have over 2000 nukes. Like do you do you really want to see them lose and what that might amount to? Like I you got to ask yourself that. You you really have to ask yourself that. Do you care about Donbass? as much as you do you know waking up to a, a nuclear horizon like I, for from my vantage point i don't care about ukraine enough to see a nuclear bomb go off in my backyard you know that's that's my perspective on it call me callous call me selfish i don't really care that's that's my honest opinion and i think if anyone was being honest with themselves they would respond the same uh, but to your your point about this being a plan that has been in action for a long time i mean the the 2014 uh, involvement that we had in the coup there in in Ukraine it's just it's obvious that our government has been deeply meddling with the Ukrainian government at the detriment of the Russians for about a decade probably longer and and this is this is what we've clearly wanted this is what our State Department wants uh, you have Victoria Newland on mic talking about it you know F the EU and all that she's I mean it's like if you actually research this stuff, it's very clear that this is not an out of the blue strike from this, you know, totalitarian expansionist imperialist Vladimir Putin. It's very complex and and we have not only armed tremendously we've armed the Ukrainian uh military, but we've also trained them. We're also, you know, we have CIA operatives that are on the ground. We have reporting of it that's like confirmed. We have CIA operatives that are on the ground in Ukraine. So, it's crazy, man. I mean, it's absolutely crazy and and I just I can't believe that uh, that the the media, after lying to us so egregiously about COVID and everything else, and the you know Russian election interference and all this stuff that's been disproven, they still have some huge percentage of the population that believes them when it comes to the narrative about this Russia-Ukraine war. It's it's maddening. So all I heard right then was that
1: you hate Ukrainian children <laughs> and you hate democracy and want the Nazis to
0: win. That's that's all. I. You nailed it. Yeah. Uh, Yes. I'm a fascist. And that's that's all there is to it. I I mean, it's just tragic. You didn't have to say all those words.
1: You could have just said that, like, you know, just (laughs) fascist. I don't care about kids. Uh, That's really easy. Um,
0: (laughs) I'll save my breath next time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, Just save some time. We're coming up on a hard break here. Um, (laughs) Before we go. okay. so I know you're more on the 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 anarchist spectrum. What is your what do you what would you say is your most statist? position that you have though. Like what's the one that, that anarchists would call you a statist over? Probably everything, because that's what
0: <sighs> yeah, yeah, that's do, what but, we do, of yeah. course. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would say that I'm not I'm not necessarily a like like you were talking about incrementalism, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm okay with if we're going to have a state that we should probably have state ran uh like property rights dispute uh judgments and things like that. I think that If you're going to have police, you should probably have them actually upholding the law. Like I, I think that this this hybrid where we have we have a very powerful state, but they're not really doing any of the things that benefit us. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. like like when you have people looting and rioting. And and you have cops stand down. Like I think that's terrible. I would rather see the cops actually intervene in those situations. So that probably makes me a status. <laughs> uh, I think that if we were attacked, I would like to see our military defend us. That makes me a status. I mean, there are, there are examples where people would probably be very upset with me, but it's it's just functioning in the current paradigm. You know, like it's still it's not my end goal. It's not my preferred end point. It's just in the interim, like what makes the most sense. And I think people get upset about a lot of that stuff. Uh, Same, same goes for, you know, my, my view of DeSantis. Like, I think a lot of the things he's done, you know, would be classified as status. I mean, he's a governor, so probably everything he's doing is status, but (laughs) by default. um, Yeah. Yeah. But I think that, you know, his, his willingness to engage in the culture war, um, I'm, I can't help but have a little bit of affection for it, <laughs> a little yeah, bit of yeah. appreciation for it. So I, I'm I'm torn on many of the things he's done. It's
1: like you like the outcome of some of the stuff that he's doing, but you don't exactly like the way that he's doing it or the fact that yeah, he yeah. has to do it. And uh, and so that's a problem. But, you know, just getting to see some people on the left freak out, it sometimes makes it worth it.
0: It feels um, good. I can't yeah. help it. It feels <laughs> good. Okay, I'm sorry.
1: Oh, man, I guess, man, I guess we are just status. That's really all it is. <laughs> Um, Yeah. Did you see the newest thing with DeSantis, by the way? People are freaking out about about uh, this thing they signed. Allegedly, the the headline was that they were requiring students, college students and professors to register their political beliefs with the state. Did you see that new thing or whatever was going on? Turns out that's
0: not the whole story but uh <laughs> yeah of course but i i find it interesting that people would be upset about that anyways because like we have to register to vote and they, they, they require you to put your party on the registration so it's like does the government not already know your political leanings to a large extent are they not spying on us on every social media app like 24 yeah. 7 uh yeah i think they are so i just think it's kind of it's kind of like a you know libertarian purity test to be mm-hmm. all freaked out about that stuff and and i'm going to be honest like from a consequentialist standpoint, like I would like to see less Marxist professors. Like I would, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether or not his, his mechanism for getting us there is the best thing to do. I don't know. I'll have to research it further, but like there is, you know, obviously I believe that the first step you should take is getting your kids out of these schools and not sending them to colleges to be indoctrinated by these lunatics. Um, But in the interim, you know, I don't really want to live in a society where there's like 60% of the college graduates come out you know, wanting to put me up against a wall. That doesn't sound ideal either. So you, know, you got you to gotta find some way to actually get to a, a reality that you want.
1: Yeah, it uh, it it turns out that the factcheck.org or Politifact has already said that that narrative I told you was false. The actual bill requires the universities to conduct a survey, but no one is required to actually respond to the survey. Oh, so it's voluntary. So, there you yeah. go. <laughs> so so there you go. I just wanted to present it to you with the narrative that I saw Stephen King post earlier, and uh, then <laughs> I actually read the bill between our ep- our podcast episode today and this episode to make sure that I understood what was in it. And uh turns out it was uh, just a completely ridiculous. Wait, the media lied. I don't believe it. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense, does it? Hmm. What, are <laughs> gonna do to, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to save our democracy?
0: You know? <laughs> well, it would be great if they would start telling the truth. That would help us. Uh, you can't have a democracy without an actually educated, you know, informed population. And their entire job is to propagandize us so that we can't make informed decisions. So it's like, it's funny because the people that constantly tout democracy and the, the importance of it and how we must defend it with our lives or at least every last Ukrainian that's breathing, we have <laughs> to use them to defend it. And yet the primary reason that democracy is just a disaster is because of you, because you're lying to us constantly. And they never reflect on that. They never look in the mirror and say, perhaps we're the problem. No, of course not. It's uh man. I've got I like, a, I like uh, when I get pissed off, it's fun. Got a sneaking
1: suspicion <laughs> that they have looked in the mirror and just saw that that is what they're trying to do in the first place because it <laughs> makes right. good headlines and, and gets people to watch, you know. But Of course, of course. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we should give them the benefit of the doubt and they're just idiots. <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay. Any Anything else we need to say about the podcast? What do you got coming up on the podcast? You got any cool guests lined up that people got to make sure they they come and listen to?
0: Uh Well, last week I had on Maj Ture. Uh That was a great episode. He's the founder of Black Guns Matter. He's a brilliant guy, um, just passionate as hell. He fires me up. So that was a great one. I had on uh, Amari Sachet, which was the, uh, the creator of Bitcoin Cash, uh, who's now created another coin, XEC. And he's a brilliant guy. I had him on with Tobias Ruck. That was yesterday. Uh, and then uh, tomorrow I'll be having on Scott Horton to go over his new book, uh, hotter than or hot as the sun, or hotter than the sun. Uh, time to end nuclear weapons. That's going to be an amazing interview. And then sometime after that, I will have on uh, the redheaded libertarian Josie. If you guys know her from Twitter, she's a great like constitutional analyst, and and that should be a great conversation. I'll be at, uh, at Michigan LP speaking uh, with Justin Amash this weekend, and then I'll be in uh freedom fest las vegas the following week so if anybody's there come out and say hi and then the following week i'll be in orlando at young americans for liberty revolution with you know dave smith and all my all my people so it's going to be it's going to be a blast thank you so much for having me man yeah, I'm really
1: glad you had the time to come on here today. Everyone, make sure you go listen to the podcast. Good luck with Scott Horton, by the way. We were supposed to do a 30-minute interview with him. Two and a half hours later, I realized I only said about 10 words, uh, but I did learn everything there is to know about Somalia. So so that was good. It was a fun time. Appreciate all... it. He's the
0: easiest interview on earth. You don't. You just ask one
1: question and you sit yeah, back. I think I, let, I was in the bathroom half the interview. I didn't even have to be there. It was nice.
0: But anyway, Clint, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, brother.